0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Days Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino, and I'm your host. And I'm here with talent on loan from Rush. When it comes to the abortion debate, oftentimes I am told as a man that I don't have a say. I, I don't have the knowledge. I'm not a woman. I have no say or stance on this issue. And obviously, I do not agree with that. And I've addressed that on my show a number of times, but just to play along with all those pro-abortionists. I'll go with that, but I have someone here who does have some pretty darn good knowledge about this issue. Not only is she a woman, she is a pro-life OBGYN. Monique Ruburu, thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me, so happy to be here with you.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. So I wanna just get started. Just tell us a little bit about your background.
1: So I was a traditionally trained gynecologist and uh, went through you know normal medical school and residency programs, cradle Catholic, so born into the faith, but really kind of a cafeteria Catholic for most of my life. Um, when I reached kind of 10-year point in my marriage, our marriage was on the brink of divorce, and God stepped in and really healed our marriage. So I decided to go out and do something to kind of pay him back. And I had read Abby Johnson's Unplanned that had kind of planted a seed in my heart about the importance of praying outside of abortion centers. And so I went to go and pray outside of an abortion center for the first time years ago. And um, then I just kept going because I realized the importance of doing it and the importance of every single life. And it just really has changed my life. And I was introduced to NAPR technology through that experience. Somebody there, um, Patrick Stanton, gave me the book about NAPR technology. And that's how I became a pro-life OBGYN, um, by learning about NAPR technology and learning how to practice true pro-life medicine.
0: Absolutely. So, so you were already a practicing OBGYN as you kind of went through this. It doesn't sound like it's a, compl- that's a conversion per se, because you said you were a cradle Catholic and, um, you know, but you kind of maybe became more profound.
1: Yeah, I absolutely call it a reversion. So. Okay.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good way of it. You know, it's funny that you you bring up um, Unplanned. I just released my episode interview with Ashley Bratcher, who, who oh, played nice. the part of Abby Johnson in the movie. Uh, so, uh, you know, such a great, great movie. I'm interested in knowing, you know, what things were like in medical school and, re- you know, residency and, and and all that, the early parts. What was the, the medical community's perception or culture like when it comes to abortion?
1: I think things have actually worsened since I was there. Um, when I was walking through medical school and residency, I was kind of, one of those people who was personally pro-life with a lot of buts, right? I had the but about incest, the but about rape, the but about, you know, I can't tell anybody else what to do because it's not my body. But personally for myself, I knew that I did not want to participate in abortion. And so when I was walking through medical school, you really don't have much to do, right? You're not doing any procedures. If anything, you're witnessing things. I was never asked to witness during an abortion or to be in a room or to counsel someone about an abortion. It never really came up during medical school at all. Um, that being said, you know, birth control pills, every single one of them that are hormonally based The inner lining of the uterus and they can cause unintended abortions, and so that was you know taught as the solution for every GYN issue across the board. And there was never any real talk about the option of natural family planning methods or fertility awareness based methods at that time, that was a long time ago, and none of that was really available. The the most they said about natural family planning was, It doesn't work, don't even think about it, and so. That being said, when I entered into residency, it was interesting because although I definitely wasn't a pro-life OBGYN at that time, I knew that I didn't want to have to perform abortions as a part of my training. And I was blessed to enter into a program where, funnily enough, there was a homosexual man who was the program director and he had adopted two children. And because he had adopted two children, he considered himself pro-life because his children wouldn't exist if those mothers had chosen abortion. And so because of that, he had the stance that nobody would be forced to do or participate in any abortion procedures. I was really blessed with that. That being said, I was very involved with the American college of obstetricians and gynecologists during my residency training. And I you know, traveled the world with them and I was in leadership and everything. And, The head of the OBGYN program, not the director, but, you know, the main person, he was very involved with abortion and he would do abortions on his own. And one day when I was, you know, following him around for his operations, he said, hey, can you assist me with this procedure? Um, It's an abortion. And I said, oh, I don't do abortions. And he said, oh, no, this isn't an elective one. This is one because of a genetic problem. And I didn't have the backbone or the strength at that time to say no to him. I really wish I did. And he performed the abortion. But after the abortion, he asked me to put the baby pieces back together. And he totally didn't realize the impact that that had on me or how traumatized I was by that. And especially the fact that that poor child was a Down syndrome baby. That was the genetic defect. And it was just horrible. And it, you know, years later, I approached him and had a conversation with him about it, but it it's kind of throughout the medical community, there are pockets of people who are just like us who abhor abortion and they don't want to have anything to do with it. There are nurses, there are scrub techs, there are physicians, there are medical students, and all of those people are trying to kind of navigate through the medical community to try and avoid these situations, to try and, you know, stand up without being kicked out and stand up without being, you know, chastised for your beliefs. But nowadays, you know, in speaking to the medical students who are walking through now, it's a lot harder because of the fact that our whole world has taken this, you know, shout your abortion and women's rights and all of these things and, you know, I have a medical student that I kind of mentor a little bit, and she has told me that when she stands up, like she put a sign in her window about abortion pill reversal, and she lives in a dorm for the uh, the medical school, and she was asked by the RA to take that sign down. <laughs> and so it's it's kind of crazy, you know, the, the difficulties that they're walking through are much worse than what I walk through. And I didn't have my Reversion during the time that I was in medical school or during the time that I was in residency. So I, you know, had no problems writing contraceptives because I really didn't grasp the truth about abortion being related to contraceptives at that time. And so I was doing a lot of really bad things without even realizing it at that time.
0: Yeah, so that actually is a great segue. So that that, that's I, I can't imagine. Your, that experience that you had uh, being in there i could I could understand you being the student and here's here's a you know the elder the more experienced individual it's hard to say no i I probably would have been in the same position uh, if I was smart enough to even get into medical school by the way uh, i I wouldn't have but the question comes oftentimes and this is the big still the big sticking issue that, that the loft is sticking to. And that is, is, that the baby's not alive until it's born. Um, as I said, at the beginning of our conversation, the pro abort side says, I'm a guy, I have nothing to say with it. Not only are you a woman, but you're also a doctor. You bring life, you, you, you know, you hold children the very first moments of their life how do you respond to people who say it's not a life until it's born?
1: You know, you can, I think Stephanie Gray has absolutely the best argument when it comes to this. And what she says is how do you know that something is living? You know that something is living if it is growing, if it is multiplying and we know that from the moment of conception the number of cells the cell division everything that's taking place it's absolutely a living organism and we know that it's human because the specification that it is human comes from who are its parents it's not an elephant it's not a bacteria it's not a protozoa It is a human because its mother and father are human. And so we know that it's a human life and that it is alive because it is growing. And if we believe that it's human life and that life begins at conception, which we all, every single embryology textbook, attests to the fact that life begins at conception. It's only the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists that has tried to change the definition of when life begins, saying that it only begins at implantation. And now it's even like more blurry. Oh, life is, you know, life begins when you think it begins. It's either at the first breath or the first time you feel movement or the first time, you know, after 24 weeks or before 24 weeks. That's, that's not, you know, after 24 weeks, after 21 weeks, that's all about viability. When do you think a life can actually survive on its own outside of the mother's uterus? I mean, you could argue that a baby isn't viable until it's like, you know, five, 10 years old because it can't feed itself. You know, it has to, you have to feed your child. But that does not mean that it's not alive. It's absolutely alive.
0: Yeah. Well, I, just just for the record, I have, um, I have eight children, ages 18, and the youngest is six, and none of them could feed themselves <laughs> or clean up after themselves or do virtually anything for themselves without me and my wife. So according to their definition, <laughs> none of my kids are viable, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately. So I w- want to talk about an organization that you're a part of, or you're, I believe you started the Sidewalk Servants. Talk about this organization, how and why you started it.
1: Yeah. So, Sidewalk Servants was actually um, when I began praying outside of the abortion centers. At that time, we decided to start participating in 40 Days for Life. And 40 Days for Life at that time did not have a 365 program, which it now does. Um, so, at that time, it was, you know, you had the option of doing one or two campaigns a year. And what I realized was that. We did the campaign and then we could like basically sense and hear and feel that the day after the campaign ended, everyone inside the abortion center was having a pizza party and celebrating the end of 40 days for life. And they were back to business as usual. And I knew that there were always, you know, pro-lifers who would come out and were committed and were willing to be there, you know, once a week, every Friday or, you know, something like that. And I thought, what if we continued to have people there every single day of the year, every single hour that this place is open? And if Abby Johnson says that having people outside lowered her numbers by such a significant percentage, what would it do for us? And so we decided in Philadelphia to ask everybody to give us two hours a month and in doing that we tried to you know structure it so that in between the 40 days for life campaigns cuz during 40 days for life churches typically would adopt a day and then they would just take the responsibility of filling in that one day or they'd join with other churches to fill in a day but the responsibility was less on us to kind of schedule and fill the holes but in this case we were trying to schedule out for all the months in between those 40 days campaigns and that's where our sidewalk servants came from but now that 40 Days for Life is a 365 program and you can you know, use the 40 Days for Life calendars and you can use all their materials and all their signs and everything throughout the year, then we have actually kind of stepped back from Sidewalk Servants and we just do 40 Days for Life 365.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. That is, it's really neat, and I I was able to watch some uh, some talks you gave about it. Uh, people can find you uh, on on YouTube. You can just simply re- uh, search your name, and uh, you can find all sorts of really great stuff. Uh, so please do. So a couple other issues before we conclude, I want to ask you about in from your perspective, there was a recent approval by the FDA to, I guess, to give greater access or, you know, maybe you could explain it better than me to the abortion pill. Uh, and there's some kind, con- obviously there's normal controversy about it, but there's, there's additional controversy um, from a medical standpoint. Can you um,
1: Absolutely. add into that? So the thing is, um, the FDA has approved the ability of people to mail the, the abortion pill to patients so that they don't have to be seen for an in-person visit. They don't have to have an ultrasound before receiving the pill. Um, in my office and you know, all throughout the world, there are so few people in comparison who actually know when they ovulated, how far along their gestation would be. You know, They might be having irregular periods. They might be completely just not paying attention to their cycles. Um, They could be having a cycle every three months and they've conceived somewhere in there. So it's really concerning. You know, number one, I mean, abortion just in general is not safe for the mom. But then you're now taking a situation where you're allowing someone to use an abortion pill and you have no idea if she is six weeks or if she's eight weeks or if she's 13 weeks or if she's 21 weeks. And it's like, you know, they're not examining this patient. They're not checking an ultrasound to make sure that this baby is not an ectopic pregnancy in the tubes. And then they're giving this abortion pill, which is supposed to end the life of this child and expecting the mom to deliver at home without any You know, assistance from anyone. I mean, if you've seen Abby Johnson's Unplanned, you saw how traumatized she was with her abortion that she had at home. And, you know, the amount of bleeding that you experience, the amount of pain that you experience, you're asked to sit on the toilet and pass the baby into the toilet and flush the toilet. Like, how traumatizing is that? And then you think of these college students where it's just stalls of bathrooms, and you're imagining a girl aborting a baby in one of those stalls. Like, it's just ridiculous. And these poor girls, you know, they think, you know, that this is going to be a quick and easy, no problem, it'll just be like having my period, and I'll be fine sort of procedure. And it's absolutely not. So it's, I think it's, it's ridiculous. It's very unsafe and it's, it's extremely concerning. Um, I do abortion pill reversal and one of the people that I reversed the abortion pill for received the pill through the mail and she had no idea how far along she was. When she went for her ultrasound, she was 20 weeks and Nobody had checked an ultrasound. Nobody knew anything. And can you imagine this woman trying to do an abortion pill abortion at home for a 20 week pregnancy? Number one, it probably wouldn't work completely, but it would just harm, if anything, it would harm the pregnancy and cause her to have some bleeding. But like this poor woman, it's just, it's ridiculous. So thanks be to God she changed her mind and we were able to help her save her child but it just showed that there is like very little oversight
0: it seems like when it comes to these issues and and I won't ask you to comment on uh, covid-19 uh, but when it comes to things like you know like this is the medical community seems to uh, ignore its normal normal practices in other words you know when 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 hydroxychloroquine was talked about, immediately everyone said stop talking about it. People might go take it and not know what it is, right? And they, in other words, they were concerned about people taking medicine without consulting a doctor and without going through that normal process, you know. But yet, when it comes to abortion, they're not seemingly concerned about that, and that that's always it's sad because whenever something becomes political, uh, all, all the logic and in fact, in humanity I think comes out of things. Um, taking off a little bit on what you just talked about, I was very intrigued by some of the some of the comments or talk you gave online that I saw in, in regards to caring for a patient as a whole person, caring for them as a whole person. And, and to me that seems to make sense. you know, it, it seems to make sense. They're not just there to see you for a very specific medical situation. they're there for, you know, they're, they're, it's very involved. So explain that to me and to my audience, uh, you know, what that is all about as far as caring for the whole person. Absolutely.
1: Um, prior to doing NAPR technology, I was a typical, you know, GYN doc. I would probably see like 30 patients a day, spend maybe five minutes with each patient. And it was just rushing, you know, you get in, it's like, okay, what's your problem? You, you have abnormal bleeding. Let me give you a contraceptive. Get out. Let, go to the next person. You have STDs. Okay, let's do STD testing. Let's treat your STD. Let's get out. But it was so unsatisfying and so just horrible medicine. And so when I switched and when I started um, to work with NAPR technology and I, they put me in my own practice initially, and I didn't have that many patients. So it made it really easy. I could spend as much time as I wanted with my patients. And I really realized that, especially when you're doing an annual exam for someone and you're going through their history, if you don't really have an understanding of all of the different aspects of their life, then it's very difficult for you to help them make any sort of impactful changes in their life. And I realize that there's kind of, it's like a, a three-legged stool where if one of the legs is off, it's very hard for anything else to work. So I always say the three legs are faith. So if you have any sort of faith, if you're involved in any faith practice, if that is strong, that's a good thing relationships. So if you, the relationships that you're involved with, if you're married, if how is your marriage? If you are dating someone, is it a good chaste relationship? Is it an honorable relationship? Um, and then the third is, you know, your, your health and your physical being. So what are you putting into your body? How are you eating? What are you eating? Are you exercising all of those things? You know, what are the symptoms and signs that you have? So funnily enough, like, Two thirds of what I talk about in my office has nothing to do with gynecology. But if your relationships are off or if you don't have a, a faith that you can lean on in times of distress, it's very difficult to navigate through life. And if you can't navigate through life, yeah, you're going to be even more stressed and your bleeding's going to be abnormal and your PMS symptoms are going to go through the roof and your thyroid's not going to function well. And vice versa. You know, if your thyroid's not functioning well, that's the motherboard of your body. And if you're not drinking enough water and you're not able to eliminate the toxins in your body, like all of those things impact everything else as well. So just taking the time to actually ask people questions about, you know your relationships and your faith and your physical problems. It just makes so much more sense to me.
0: Well, and it shows you care. And I think that that's what people, you know, people are looking for is a doctor who who cares about them and, and is invested in them. And I think that makes a huge, huge, huge difference. So I think that's great. And I, I hope uh, more doctors do that in all areas of medicine. So the final area that I'd love for you to talk about is how we should all, how you and how all of us should engage with people uh, that are pro-abortion, whether it's a, a Abortion doctor, whether it's a pro-abortion leader, whether it's someone who's harassing your group outside of the sidewalk or something like that. Personally, my natural instinct is to want to punch him in the face. Right? I'm not saying to do that. I won't do that. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying is that's the natural feeling of if, especially if someone's harassing you guys at at the sidewalk or harassing someone at, at the pro-life march or something. I'm admitting that's not the right way to handle it. So. How do you and how do we, should we handle?
1: I think the best way to handle any situation when you're dealing with anybody about any conflict is to be able to reach out to them with love. And it is the hardest thing in the world to do. And as human beings, it's very difficult to do it on our own. And that's why this is such a spiritual warfare. And that's why we have to go prepared. We have to, you know, say our prayers. We have to ask for intercession. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to surround us and to fill us and to speak through us because it's not normal for a human being to go up to somebody that you know is participating in something that is so evil and who is like blatantly rude and unkind and says and does horrible things to you and those you care about, it's not normal to respond to that person with love. That's only something that God does. And so we have to ask God to love them through us. And we have to 100% when you're there outside of that abortion center, realizing that this is a spiritual warfare and realizing the importance of prayer. This is not the time to catch up with buddies. This is not the time to, you know, talk about sports. This is not the time to talk about politics. This is not even the time when they start bantering with you and they're they're egging you on. It's not the time to engage with them. You can always say, hey, look, if you want to have a conversation with me, I'd be happy to go for coffee with you afterwards. But right now I'm here to pray. And just like block them out. The only people that we should be talking to when we're there are the men and women going in. And if we're talking to them, we have to talk to them with kindness, with love, with generosity. Because the minute that we start saying things like you're going to hell or you're a murderer or whatever, those things Will push those men and women right into the arms of the abortionist because then suddenly they seem like the kind and generous, loving person, and we seem like the aggressor. And so we have to show up with a willingness. To be kind and compassionate to these people, not saying things like happy Mother's Day, you know, to them on the day of their abortion, but rather like, hey, sweetie, I have so many resources to help you. I'd love to help you. If there's anything I can do to help you, can I have five minutes of your time, you know, pleading with them? Absolutely. You know, your baby's got a heartbeat. You're already a mom. Let me help you. You know, this isn't going to stop you from being a mom. This will just, you know, end the life of your child, but we can help you. Like, that's all fine. But when we're mean, when we're angry, when we're spiteful, even if those people go inside and are convicted and they walk out, they're not going to walk to us. They're going to walk away and then someone else in their community is going to convince them to go back. But if we're kind and we're loving, if they walk out, there's a chance they'll walk to us and there's a chance we can surround them and we can support them and we can help that child not just be born, but also walk through life. And so it's it's really, really, really challenging, but we can't do any of it without prayer. And so my suggestion is show up, show up and make sure every hour is covered but when you're there, consider it to be your job. For those two hours that you are standing in front of that abortion center, you should just be saying prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer, after prayer and not stop because those unceasing prayers are what makes a difference.
0: No, it's, it's great advice. And, and for the record, I completely agree with you. Uh, um, I was just somewhat no, joking. No, of
1: course, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: Earlier, of course, and, and, and that is absolutely the way to go. And that is what the pro-life movement does, that we are there to, to give forgiveness and help and support. To people, whether they had an abortion or not, uh, because they are in fact suffering very, very often afterwards after the decision, and they still need to be loved and helped and prayed for and so on. So uh, that is absolutely the right way to go, and it is what the pro life movement does in general. So, uh, Dr. Monique Rubru, thank you so much. Where where can people connect with you or help your organizations and and help you know you know support you? Uh, in any way that they oh, thank can.
1: You. So I am kind of all over the place on Facebook. If you just Google me or if you search for Dr. Monique Ruberu um, online, I, my goal in life is to, you know, just do God's work and spread the word about NAPR technology for people who have no idea about the harms of contraceptives and, Um, the ability of them to address infertility without the use of IVF, which also leads to abortions in so many cases. Um, You know, anything that I can do to to help somebody to avoid those situations is always awesome. I'm on, you know, Twitter. I'm on every type of social media there is out there. um, And I'm I'm super accessible. My website for my office is naturalwomenshealth.com. And then I also have a fertility solved um, coaching program and a course for infertility that I do internationally with people, too. And as far as the abortion outreach, um, we still do have our Sidewalk Servants Philly website up and we have training videos on YouTube that the Pro-Life Union of Greater Philadelphia helped us to create, which is awesome. Um, and then there's always the 40 Days for Life website, 40daysforlife.com, where you can learn more about praying outside of an abortion center and sign up near you.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. So just search her name and you'll find it everywhere and, and you can connect and support, especially if you're local and you want to be involved. Please, please do. So, uh, Dr. Rubru, thank you so much for being here. This was really excellent. Thanks for taking the time uh, to come on my, my little show here. Uh, I really appreciate it.
1: All right. Take care. God bless.
0: Okay. You too. And thank all of you for listening to this episode of Feed Ace Podcast. Please check out all my different podcasts on all the different podcast apps, YouTube, Rumble, and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on And Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.
2: so far.